0: Thanks, Michelle, for that reading. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration, and it's good to be together here on this Sunday morning. I missed you all last week. Jenny Lynn and I were in El Paso, Texas, and Las Cruces, New Mexico. They're about 30 minutes apart for Dawson Hunt's ordination. He was our previous Next Gen director, and it was actually a treat to be out there, not only for his ordination, but we ate really well, and so... Uh, Can't make any complaints about that, but uh, we did miss you here. Uh, I'm going to confess I did check the live stream and worshiped with you a little bit here and there uh, before their kids kind of uh, took center stage. But uh, glad to, not glad, but um, it's neat to be able to come to the end of this letter uh, in 1 Thessalonians where we've been during this Easter tide that finished last week uh, we've been looking at the implications of what it means to be a church in light of Jesus' resurrection. And before we dive in, I just wanted to give a few uh, reminders of what we've been going through for the last seven weeks. You know, we began this letter that Paul writes to the church being reminded that we're called to be a new community, right? That because of our identity in Christ, that, we are, that informs how we live out our mission, And this young church plant lived out their mission. Do you remember that? They were this young church, less than one year old, in the midst of a majority culture that worshipped pagan gods, and they were revolutionizing, changing their society and culture because of their identity in Christ. Then the following week, we looked at a gospel community, how the gospel actually informs our character, not only for leaders and pastors, but also for the church members. And and they lived out their character that matched the ones that they believed in the gospel. We We also saw how we're called to be an enduring community, that in the midst of the affliction and persecution that the church went through, they endured for the sake of the gospel. We looked at how we're called to be a holy community, one that's being made more and more like Jesus, being sanctified. Where we were also looked how we looked at how we were called to be a grieving community. That we don't grieve like those who have no hope, but we actually grieve with hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. And then two Sundays ago, before we took a little break, we looked at how we're called to be a community of light. That as children of light, that we're supposed to be sober and awake as we live in the midst of a dark world. Now today, as we come to this last portion of Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church, he's calling us to be a faithful church. In light of everything that Paul has written in this letter, and we're actually going to see even more so here, what does it look like to be faithful as followers of Jesus so that we can actually make a difference in our culture and in our society, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, And that's what we're going to look at here. There's going to be themes that come up from previous sermons and in earlier parts of the letter, but as we do, let's uh, come to the Lord in prayer and ask him to speak to us. Lord, we give you thanks for this opportunity to come to your word after being consecrated or being forgiven as people who now come. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear. Give us uh, eyes to see. So that Lord, we might be able to reflect more and more of Jesus, not only in who we are, but to a watching world that desperately needs the hope that is only found in Christ. Lord, won't you do that good work? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to ask for a little participation this morning to wake you all up, but with a show of hands, we're not going verbal, so don't get all us, uh, so don't, don't get all fearful on me here, but with a show of hands. How many of you have bought anything from Ikea and had to build it? A lot of us, if not most of us. Now keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. How many of you enjoyed it? Oh, man. We had some people in our first service that enjoyed it too. And and what I said was, you guys all must love being tortured. (laughs) Because I can't stand building Ikea furniture. And we have tons of it in our home. And the reason I don't like it is not only because there's like page after page after page of instructions in this manual, but like it makes no sense, right? I mean, you have no clue what they're actually asking you to do. There are so many times, countless times where I'm building our IKEA furniture and I will always most likely make a mistake somewhere in the steps 1 through 50. And usually I pray to God that it's early on. Because if it's early on, then I could go ahead and, and fix it. But if it's towards the end, which happens also frequently, what happens is I have a dilemma, and most of you probably know what this dilemma is. Do I undo everything that I've done for the last two hours soaked in sweat, Or do I just leave it alone, as it is, and pray to God that He and my wife doesn't recognize or notice the flaw? Now, why I bring up Ikea manuals and building furniture is because here in this passage, you might have noticed it, maybe not, but Paul gives us 15 commands to follow, 15 imperatives that he calls us to do at the end of the letter to the church of Thessalonica and to us. 15 commands. And similar to Ikea manuals, it can be difficult and hard to follow, not because it's confusing, not because it's not clear, but rather because it is hard. It's exhausting. It's, it's overwhelming and burdensome to be able to not only look at these 15 commands that Paul instructs us with, but really the entire letter that we've been looking at, what it means to be a gospel community, a grieving community, uh, an enduring community. These things are so hard and can feel like a huge burden upon our shoulders to follow Jesus faithfully. And yet what Paul is doing here at the end of his letter, he's saying this is what it means to be a faithful community. To follow after him all the days of our lives. And that's what we want to look at here. And we're going to do this in three ways in what Paul is saying in calling us to be a faithful community. First, a call to remain faithful. Second, a promise. And then lastly, grace for us. So let's look at these points here, beginning with this call that Paul gives to us to remain faithful. As I mentioned, Paul in this last portion of his letter gives us 15 commands. And what I want to do is just briefly go through each one verse by verse. So you can follow along in your, in your Bibles or I think Jake has been posting these verses one by one as we go through this. But start in verse 12. Look at what Paul calls the church to do as he finishes this letter. He says, we ask you, brothers, and that's brothers and sisters. You've noticed that I've been saying that throughout this letter. To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. What he's calling the church to do is to actually love, respect, and esteem those who have authority over you. And we struggle with authority, right? We all have authority in every single part of our lives, whether it's parents, teachers, or church leaders, or your bosses. And here what Paul is calling us to do is to respect and esteem and love those who are over you, who shepherd you, who oversee you. And what's really important here, and in a culture where we see so much abuse happening amongst leaders, and I say this very carefully with humility, is that Paul is reminding us who are those that are over you. In the Lord. It's those who are in the Lord. We looked at this in chapter 2. Who are those leaders whose character represents the gospel? are these leaders have uh, have good support structures and accountability built in to their leadership and here as we look at these leaders here even at restoration our elders our pastors our leadership do we respect and esteem them in love what does that look like to pray to seek counsel and heed their counsel to encourage them, to thank them, to show appreciation. Like our RUF interns with that nice T-shirt that they made for SJ. Where's my face on T-shirt? I don't want one, trust me. Someone asked me after this. I'm like, no, thank you. Like SJ's got the face, right? That It looks like him. I don't know what you would do with my face. But anyway, what does it look like for us to respect and esteem those who oversee you? I, I was at um, Dawson's Ornation, and the man, the pastor who gave the charge to the church, he said this, Pastors who leave ministry and who, who, who leave it completely, usually we think it's because of moral failure, right? Or it's because they got burnt out. But what he was saying was over the countless years he's seen pastors resign from ministry or leave the ministry, it's more because of the wounds that have been inflicted by his own members. And as we think about the call that pastors and leaders have What does it look like to love them well? But let's continue. Verse 13. The second half of verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves. What's the opposite of peace? It's conflict. It's war. And here, what does it look like for us not to avoid it, not to leave conflict behind, or to be passive-aggressive, but what does it actually look like to address it, to seek reconciliation, not just the absence of peace, or absence of war or conflict, but to actually bring it to light and where where forgiveness is offered, repentance is given, and we see flourishing happening in the church, in relationships where we're bound to have conflicts, but where we can actually see peace reign in the church. Paul goes on to say, admonish the idle, those who are lazy, who who don't want to work. And we looked at that in previous weeks. Encourage the faint-hearted. Not just with meals or nice words of flattery, but actually preaching and speaking the gospel to our brothers and sisters in Christ. What does that look like to encourage them? To help the weak in verse 14c. To be patient with them all. You see, helping or encouraging the weak and the faint-hearted. It requires patience. It takes time, effort, energy, and sacrifice. And sometimes we might not actually see the fruit of, the, of our labor. But what does it look like to continue to show love to those who are weak and faint-hearted? Paul goes on in verse 15: Do not repay evil for evil, but seek to do good to one another. And everyone. So one another is within the body of Christ, the family. But look, everyone is those outside the church as well. What does it look like to not seek revenge, but to actually show kindness? What does it actually look like to see your enemy, those that you don't get along with, those that you disagree with, but seek the good for them? That's what Paul is calling us to do. Going on in verse 16, rejoice always. Remember the Thessalonians experienced a lot of affliction and yet they had the joy of the spirit. The gospel that we have is good news even in the most trying of circumstances. Pray without ceasing. Verse 17, prayer is a spirit of dependence on God. When we pray, we recognize how powerless we are, but how powerful God actually is in our lives. He goes on in verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Are we marked by a complaining, grumbling heart or do we have a heart of thanksgiving in all circumstances? Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. It's important for us to recognize the spirit is our guide, is our helper in times of need. So this means we actually need to recognize the Spirit that is present in our lives and not reject the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Even when I preach, when elders come and leadership comes to you and brings God's Word, are we testing it or do we just take it for granted? But do we test what is spoken and preached? Hold fast, in verse 21, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And then later in verse 25, Paul says, brothers, pray for us. And in verse 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Now here's 15 commands that God gives us. And I know for each and every single one of us, as I prepared this, I was like, I can't hit the mark on any of these. (laughs) And this can be overwhelming and burdensome. But here's the encouragement that I want to give you. Remember that this call to faithfulness and these 15 commands is corporate by nature, not individual. It's not just you and God. You are not meant to live this this faith journey alone. The call to, be, to remain faithful is we do this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. You've seen that. You've heard that theme over and over again in this letter. We are the family of God. And what does that look like for us to be able to walk together, depend on one another, to cast our burdens upon not only God but to one another and share that in the midst of our struggles? This is done together. But all too often we don't. We keep it to ourselves. We think we're the only ones that's struggling. But what does that look like to share together, to remain faithful in this call, whether it's through your community groups, whether it's through friendships here at this church? We're called to do that together. As we feel overwhelmed by this, I think the second point is what makes the Christian faith so beautiful. And it's this. It's this promise to what? A promise that we actually will be faithful. Hard to believe, but one that we need to hold on to. That the promise that God gives to us is that we will be faithful. That he will actually accomplish the work, finish the good work that he's begun in us, that Paul reminds us in Philippians. One, one commentator said this, we can't simply muster up the effort to live the kind of life Paul describes. We can't do it. You can't just... Focus and think that you can do this on your own. We need God to break into our hearts and lives, to set up to set us apart and to make us holy. This is why God's promise that He will make us, He will actually help us to be faithful is so important. And He girds this in His character, right? Look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. So because God is faithful, he will surely do it, that we will be able to remain faithful in all that we have been called to do. And God has always kept his promise. He might not give us what we want. I know a lot of us here are praying for certain things. And just because God doesn't answer that, doesn't, the way you want, doesn't mean he hasn't kept his promise. When we look at scripture from beginning to end, there are hundreds and hundreds of promises and God has remained faithful and if that is true here and he tells us and Paul reminds us that he will we will be faithful then we need to hold on to that and why we hold on to that is what Paul says in verse 23 he actually it's intriguing that Paul grounds God's promise that we will be faithful In the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' second coming, that is the hope that we have that we we will be faithful to the end. I think we don't think about that much in our daily grind of our lives. In the present realities of what we go through, do we ever think about the end of the story? That because Jesus is coming back, we will be fully restored. We will be fully reconciled. We will be blameless, as Paul says, at the end of the story. And because of the promise that God gives to us, we need to remember and hold on to that. I was recently talking with my second child, Renee. She's our middle one. And we were talking about books and novels and what she's been reading and what she's liking. And she's like, Daddy. You promise if I tell you something, you won't get mad at me. And then I kind of lied or fibbed, and I said, yeah, I promise I won't get mad at you. But in my head, I'm like, it depends on what you say. (laughs) She's like, Daddy, don't get mad at me. But what I do with the books that you recommend or books that I read is I actually turn to the last two pages of the novel. And if I like it, I'll read it. But if I don't like it, I won't read it. I'm like, you go girl, like that's why you're going to middle school. Like she's such a smart cookie and that's actually what Paul is saying and why he actually roots God's promise in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is true of our lives as followers of Jesus as well. We have the ending. Jesus is coming back. And with his return, we will be fully, wholly, completely restored and made perfect in every aspect of our humanity. He will surely do it. But we're so short-sighted. Amnesia is our problem. We forget the end of the story. I, I ran a 10K many, many years ago. And it was the first time and the last time I'll ever run a 10K. But the first half of that 10K was absolutely miserable. I was done. But I had a whole nother second half to run, another 5K. And it was even worse than the first half. But when I saw that finish line a quarter of a mile away, do you think I just went, oh, there it is. I'm just going to now like slow down and just stop and kind of just meander to the finish line. No, that finish line was my hope. That finish line was the joy that I needed to book it and to get to the end. That's exactly what Paul's doing. He's saying the coming of the Lord is near. So as surely as God will finish the work he's begun in you, remain faithful to the end. Run with all your might, with all your heart, soul, and strength. This is the call and the promise that God gives to his people. John Piper, a pastor who's now retired, he said this, what gives us assurance in this matter, exactly what we're talking about here in faithfulness, is not primarily focusing on the measure of our holiness, but on the measure of God's faithfulness to do the sanctifying work he promises to do. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Which brings us to the last point. You see, the reality of our lives is we don't remember the end of the story. We don't turn to the end to the uh, final pages of a book. We don't run faithfully to the end of the finish line. And that's the ache we live with in the, on this side of heaven. It's hard. It's exhausting. Sometimes we ask ourselves, like, what's the point in this race? I can't do it. I question and doubt God's faithfulness. I question and doubt God's character. Like, how do I do this? How do I remain faithful? Paul gives us that hope, And it says in this last point that we need to remember for you and for me in verse 28. This is what Paul writes as he finishes this letter, he says, "The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God's grace is what we need every single day for the rest of our lives here on earth. God's grace is what we need. Paul finishes every single letters with a benediction of blessing and often includes this exact thing, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't some throwaway word, grace, that Paul just ends his letters with. Like, you know the way we'll write letters or or emails with? like Sincerely. And we, we, none of us sincerely are finishing that letter or writing it. Or with thanks or with gratitude or for those who follow Jesus, some of us like to write in Christ. A lot of times we don't even think about it and we just finish it that way because that's what you're supposed to do. Paul is not doing that here. This word grace packs such a punch. This small little word is everything for us when we cannot remain Faithful. It's like when I was in New Mexico last week and I had green chilies. This tiny little green chili made my mouth on fire. This is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that Paul is talking about here. This grace is what we are availed to when we are not faithful. And Paul talks about this in other parts of his letter. When he speaks about how God speaks to Paul, guess what he says? My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. How is grace? How is God's grace sufficient for us in times of weakness? Well, it's what God did in sending his own son into this world. God became man and he was faithful to the utmost. To the utmost he was faithful. How do we see that? Well, with each and every single command, these 15 that God get, or that Paul gives, Jesus did it perfectly. He was the only one who remains faithful. Perfect respect, love and esteem and submission to the authority of His Father. Perfect peace, bringing reconciliation between us and God through His death on the cross. He was the one who was so patient, slow to anger and abounding in love when his 12 disciples never got it. When he knew Judas was going to betray him, he was patient to the end. He prayed without ceasing, mornings, evenings, always in dialogue with his heavenly father. He rejoiced always. For the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. In every single circumstance, there was joy. He gave thanks in all circumstances. He was blameless and without fault or sin. He was, fought, he was found faultless even in the court of law. And yet what happened to him? He went to the cross. A death that he did not deserve at all but he did it for you and for me we who are full of failures and sin and hate why because he loves us and he still loves us he calls us sons and daughters and he brings us into his family this is the grace of our lord jesus christ And this is the grace we need every single day of our lives. It's yours. Every time we fail, every time you stumble, every time you want to give up, his grace is for you. And this is what we need when we cannot be faithful. So this morning, as we come to the table, eat and drink and receive his grace, For this table that we are going to participate in is his grace for you, his body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. This is his grace so that when we come broken, when we come doubting, when we come insecure, when we cannot remain faithful, he says, I've done it for you. Do not worry. But press on, brother. Press on, sister. Be faithful, And when you are not, have hope and receive the grace that is from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And slowly, day by day, God's grace will make us more like him. We will be faithful. And as we are faithful, he will use us to be a blessing to wherever he has called you. To slowly but surely bring change to our society and to our culture not because of what we do or what we muster up, but because of Jesus and his promise that he will surely do it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we give you thanks for our Lord and Savior, for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is with us every single moment of every day, who was faithful to the utmost when we cannot. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come to the table now, strengthen us, encourage us, Meet us wherever we are at, so that as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, that your grace will be sufficient for our failures, for our mistakes. And that you would be glorified, and this would be for our good. Holy Spirit, do that good work we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.